0: Chapter 13 of the Works of the Right Honourable Edmund Burke. Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Works of the Right Honourable Edmund Burke. Volume 1. By Edmund Burke. Chapter 13. Section 1 of the efficient cause of the sublime and beautiful when i say i intend to inquire into the efficient cause of sublimity and beauty i would not be understood to say that i can come to the ultimate cause i do not pretend that i shall ever be able to explain why certain affections of the body produce such a distinct emotion of mind and no other Or why the body is at all affected by the mind, or the mind by the body. A little thought will show this to be impossible, but I conceive, if we can discover what affections of the mind produce certain emotions of the body, and what distinct feelings and qualities of body shall produce certain determinate passions in the mind, and no others, I fancy a great deal will be done something not unuseful towards a distinct knowledge of our passions, so far at least as we have them at present under our consideration. This is all, I believe, we can do. If we could advance a step farther, difficulties would still remain, as we should be still equally distant from the first cause. When Newton first discovered the property of attraction and settled its laws, He found it served very well to explain several of the most remarkable phenomena in nature, but yet, with reference to the general system of things, he could consider attraction but as an effect, whose cause at that time he did not attempt to trace. But when he afterwards began to account for it by a subtle elastic ether, this great man if in so great a man it be not impious to discover anything like a blemish seemed to have quitted his usual cautious manner of philosophizing since perhaps allowing all that has been advanced on this subject to be sufficiently proved i think it leaves us with as many difficulties as it found us that great chain of causes which linking one to another, even to the throne of God himself, can never be unraveled by any industry of ours. When we go but one step beyond the immediate sensible qualities of things, we go out of our depth. All we do after is but a faint struggle. That shows we are in an element which does not belong to us. So that when I speak of cause and efficient cause, i only mean certain affections of the mind that cause certain changes in the body or certain powers and properties in bodies that work a change in the mind as if i were to explain the motion of a body falling to the ground i would say it was caused by gravity and i would endeavor to show after what manner this power operated without attempting to show why it operated in this manner or if i were to explain the effects of bodies striking one another by the common laws of percussion i should not endeavor to explain how motion itself is communicated section two association it is no small bar in the way of our inquiry into the cause of our passions that the occasions of many of them are given and that their governing motions are communicated at a time when we have not capacity to reflect on them at a time of which all sort of memory is worn out of our minds for besides such things as affect us in various manners according to their natural powers there are associations made at that early season which we find it very hard afterwards to distinguish from natural effects, not to mention the unaccountable antipathies which we find in many persons. We all find it impossible to remember when a steep became more terrible than a plain, or fire or water more terrible than a clod of earth, though all these are very probably either conclusions from experience or arising from the premonitions of others and some of them impressed in all likelihood pretty late but as it must be allowed that many things affect us after a certain manner not by any natural powers they have for that purpose but by association so it would be absurd on the other hand to say that all things affect us by association only since some things must have been originally and naturally agreeable or disagreeable from which the others derive their associated powers and it would be i fancy too little purpose to look for the cause of our passions in association until we fail of it in the natural properties of things section three cause of pain and fear i have before observed footnote part one section seven and footnote that whatever is qualified to cause terror is a foundation capable of the sublime to which i add that not only these but many things from which we cannot probably apprehend any danger have a similar effect because they operate in a similar manner i observed two footnote part one section ten in footnote that whatever produces pleasure positive and original pleasure is fit to have beauty engrafted on it therefore to clear up the nature of these qualities it may be necessary to explain the nature of pain and pleasure on which they depend a man who suffers under violent bodily pain i suppose the most violent because the effect may be the more obvious I say a man in great pain has his teeth set, his eyebrows are violently contracted, his forehead is wrinkled, his eyes are dragged inwards, and rolled with great vehemence, his hair stands on end, the voice is forced out in short shrieks and groans, and the whole fabric totters. Fear or terror, which is an apprehension of pain or death, exhibits exactly the same effects, approaching in violence to those just mentioned in proportion to the nearness of the cause and the weakness of the subject. This is not only so in the human species, but I have more than once observed in dogs, under an apprehension of punishment, that they have writhed their bodies and yelped and howled as if they had actually felt the blows. From hence I conclude that pain and fear act upon the same parts of the body and in the same manner though somewhat differing in degree that pain and fear consist in an unnatural tension of the nerves that this is sometimes accompanied with an unnatural strength which sometimes suddenly changes into an extraordinary weakness that these effects often come on alternately and are sometimes mixed with each other this is the nature of all convulsive agitations especially in weaker subjects which are the most liable to the severest impressions of pain and fear the only difference between pain and terror is that things which cause pain operate on the mind by the intervention of the body Whereas things that cause terror generally affect the bodily organs by the operation of the mind suggesting the danger, but both agreeing either primarily or secondarily in producing attention, contraction, or violent emotion of the nerves. Footnote. I do not here enter into the question debated among physiologists whether pain be the effect of a contraction or attention of the nerves either will serve my purpose for by tension i mean no more than a violent pulling of the fibres which compose any muscle or membrane in whatever way this is done and footnote they agree likewise in everything else for it appears very clearly to me from this as well as from many other examples that when the body is disposed by any means whatsoever to such emotions as it would acquire by the means of a certain passion it will of itself excite something very like that passion in the mind section four continued to this purpose mr Spon, and his recherche di antiquite gives us a curious story of the celebrated physiognomist campanella this man it seems had not only made very accurate observations on human faces but was very expert in mimicking such as were any way remarkable when he had a mind to penetrate into the inclinations of those he had to deal with he composed his face his gesture and his whole body as nearly as he could into the exact similitude of the person he intended to examine and then carefully observe what turn of mind he seemed to acquire by this change so that says my author he was able to enter into the dispositions and thoughts of people as effectually as if he had been changed into the very men i have often observed that on mimicking the looks and gestures of angry or placid or frightened or daring men i have involuntarily found my mind turned to that passion whose appearance i endeavored to imitate nay i am convinced it is hard to avoid it though one strove to separate the passion from its correspondent gestures our minds and bodies are so closely and intimately connected that one is incapable of pain or pleasure without the other campanella Of whom we have been speaking could so abstract his attention from any sufferings of his body that he was able to endure the rack itself without much pain and in lesser pains everybody must have observed that when we can employ our attention on anything else the pain has been for a time suspended on the other hand If by any means the body is indisposed to perform such gestures, or to be stimulated into such emotions as any passion usually produces in it, that passion itself never can arise, though its cause should be never so strongly in action, though it should be merely mental, and immediately affecting none of the senses. As an opiate, or spirituous liquors shall suspend the operation of grief or fear or anger in spite of all our efforts to the contrary and this by inducing in the body a disposition contrary to that which it receives from these passions section five how the sublime is produced having considered terror as producing an unnatural tension and certain violent emotions of the nerves it easily follows from what we have just said that whatever is fitted to produce such a tension must be productive of a passion similar to terror and and consequently must be a source of the sublime though it should have no idea of danger connected with it. So that little remains towards showing the cause of the sublime, but to show that the instances we have given of it in the second part relate to such things, as are fitted by nature to produce this sort of tension, either by the primary operation of the mind or the body, with regard to such things as affect by the associated idea of danger, there can be no doubt but that they produce terror, and act by some modification of that passion. And that terror, when sufficiently violent, raises the emotions of the body just mentioned, can as little be doubted. But if the sublime is built on terror or some passion like it, which has pain for its object, It is previously proper to inquire how any species of delight can be derived from a cause so apparently contrary to it. I say delight because, as I have often remarked, it is very evidently different in its cause and in its own nature from actual and positive pleasure. Section 6. How Pain Can Be a Cause of Delight Providence has so ordered it that a state of rest and inaction, however it may flatter our indolence, should be productive of many inconveniences, that it should generate such disorders as may force us to have recourse to some labor as a thing absolutely requisite to make us pass our lives with tolerable satisfaction. For the nature of rest is to suffer all the parts of our bodies to fall into a relaxation that not only disables the members from performing their functions but takes away the vigorous tone of fibre which is requisite for carrying on the natural and necessary secretions at the same time that in this languid in active state the nerves are more liable to the most horrid convulsions than when they are sufficiently braced and strengthened. Melancholy, dejection, despair, and often self-murder is the consequence of the gloomy view we take of things in this relaxed state of body. The best remedy for all these evils is exercise or labor, and labor is the surmounting of difficulties and exertion of the contracting power of the muscles and as such resembles pain which consists in tension or contraction in everything but degree labor is not only requisite to preserve the coarser organs in a state fit for their functions but it is equally necessary to these finer and more delicate organs on which and by which the imagination and perhaps the other mental powers act since it is probable that not only the inferior parts of the soul as the passions are called but the understanding itself makes use of some fine corporal instruments in its operation though what they are and where they are may be somewhat hard to settle but that it does make use of such appears from hence that a long exercise of the mental powers induces a remarkable lassitude of the whole body and on the other hand that great bodily labor or pain weakens and sometimes actually destroys the mental faculties now as a due exercise is essential to the coarse muscular parts of the constitution and that without this rousing, they would become languid and diseased. The very same rule holds with regard to those finer parts we have mentioned. To have them in proper order, they must be shaken and worked to a proper degree. Section 7. Exercise Necessary for the Finer Organs As common labor, which is a mode of pain, is the exercise of the grosser. A mode of terror is the exercise of the finer parts of the system. And if a certain mode of pain be of such a nature as to act upon the eye or the ear, as they are the most delicate organs, the affection approaches more nearly to that which has a mental cause. In all these cases, If the pain and terror are so modified as not to be actually nauseous, if the pain is not carried to violence and the terror is not conversant about the present destruction of the person, as these emotions clear the parts, whether fine or gross, of a dangerous and troublesome encumbrance, they are capable of producing delight, not pleasure, but a sort of delightful horror. A sort of tranquility tinged with terror which as it belongs to self-preservation is one of the strongest of all the passions its object is the sublime footnote part two section one and footnote it's the highest degree i call astonishment the subordinate degrees are awe reverence and respect which by the very etymology of the words, show from what source they are derived, and how they stand distinguished from positive pleasure. Section 8. Why things not dangerous sometimes produce a passion like terror. A mode of terror or pain is always the cause of the sublime. Footnote. Part 1. Section 7. Part 2. Section 2. And footnote. For terror or associated danger, the foregoing explication is, I believe, sufficient. It will require something more trouble to show, that such examples as I have given of the sublime in the second part are capable of producing a mode of pain, and of being thus allied to terror, and to be accounted for on the same principles and first of such objects as are great in their dimensions i speak of visual objects end of chapter thirteen